can't play the drums on the table. <laughs> <laughs> so many rules. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another episode of On the Line. I'm Christina Kay. And I'm Joe Mullings. And with us today, again, is Dave Ranker, our uh, VP of... VP of Strategy. Strategy. <laughs> <laughs> let's do that again. No, let's make it stick. <laughs> yeah. VP of Strategy, Dave Ranker. No, because I was going to say VP of Striker. I was like, that's wrong. Don't say that. No, keep this roll right. Keep yeah, right. Keep that's right. So, okay. Yeah. Just, you know what? Those words sound similar. I'm just like, I'm going to just... Let it roll. Anyway, uh, Dave is back to give us his HR expertise on a subject which got a little bit heat on LinkedIn this week. Yeah, I got. Uh, I wrote an article about how the new salary laws are absolutely ridiculous. For those that are not aware, there's a couple states, shocker, California, um, the, the liberal epicenter of the U.S. You are not allowed to ask, moving forward, actually in San Fran right now, somebody's past salary history or request it, right, Dave? from an employer and it's going into effect in Massachusetts and how I believe that is one of the most ridiculous laws of all time and we'll, we wanted to chat today about why Dave you thought it took place and why it actually hamstrings people getting higher salaries so Dave introduce yourself first, yeah it's, um, so my backgrounds you know 25 30 years of um, being an HR executive spent 10 years or so with Stryker as a um, vice president and a general manager at, at one point in my career. Um, and um, about uh, a few months ago, I uh, made the decision to do a little bit of a career change and join the Mullings Group. And um, so far, it's been a blast. And Dave heads up strategy with us and brings some really great insight into the HR function. So I look forward to what he has to say since I'm going to challenge him to stay on the other side of the fence today as the employer. Well, I do think we have to start. There was a challenge placed to you in the comments. Right. Which oh, uh, You're going right after this, aren't you? Oh, uh, Look at my table. I see it. I have you all the papers. Really prepared. All you're like going papers. to war with me here. <laughs> I have one page. You have eight. All the pages. All the pages. I. Uh, well, okay, number one. This is not my area of expertise, so all I can do is research it and try to think. I, I think I bring an interesting perspective because it's in many ways much more objective because I'm just reading information and synthesizing it with my mind and really nothing else. Um, so the challenge was put to you to give one, I'm sure maybe there are more, but one legitimate reason why an employer needs to know a job applicant's salary history. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Think about the hiring process, right? And, and I, always, I always equate the hiring process to a marriage or a meaningful relationship. You have got to make a long-term decision, we generally do, especially in the hiring process, based on a very short window of time. And it's, it's, it's totally fair to look for, and this is what the human mind does, data, evidence, and small triggers that will represent future performance. And so if in a three interview session or a two week period, I'm making a decision based upon potentially a five year relationship, I need to know one is, what did the market think of you? 
the market, what, what did the market validate on you? And for those that are hiding behind a lower salary based upon what the market is paying, that generally will map to you aren't worth what you're asking for, right? So that's one. We need to find about references, and those have already been sort of challenged, right, Dave? You can't ask for references, or corporate organizations won't give out references anymore. Yeah, yeah. Salary information, very relevant to what the market thought about you, okay? Four-year degree, a lot of times it has no bearing. Yet the market has decided that a four-year degree is an indicator of the ability to be successful, right? So those three things, past performance based upon references, salary based upon what the market bears, right? And then a four-year degree or an education. I don't agree that they all are indicators of what you're going to do moving forward all the time, but I need that data as an employer to decide if I'm going to make a bet on you. Dave, oh, Dave, that, that, I'm throwing the fucking ball to you. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks, <laughs> thanks for tossing that one over. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think they're all they're all um, important information, you know, in the in the recruiting process. I mean, I think it's we were just having a, a side discussion. I, I think there's so many complicating factors that come into play when you're recruiting somebody and you're having discussions about salary requirements, um, where they are. I, I, I don't necessarily believe you have to know somebody's salary right down to the to every single penny. But I think there definitely has to be a discussion about a range. You know, um, where are you now? What are you looking for? Because, you know, there's so much wasted time at the end, right? If you spend two months recruiting somebody and get to the end, and uh, and you make an offer and you find out, well, they're making $20,000 more than that, then, you know, it's like, what, what have you just done? Or they're expecting $20,000 more, <clears throat> and what are they basing that upon? Just true. because? Yeah, true. It, it, but there's also, you know, I've seen um, smaller companies, the differences in ranges between working a smaller company, a larger company, one's more equity-based versus cash-based, Um 401k, you know, what, what comes with it? What, what's all involved in an offer? Um, sometime can negate that need for, well, I need an extra 20 grand, right? Um, so I think it's a really, really complicated discussion. But at the end of the day, I don't know how you proceed in a hiring process without knowing salary expectations. Or, when or, when or, somebody or points history. to you, Dave, and asks for more money on something, right? So they yeah. say, I want 20 grand more. Yet they don't provide an evidence-based argument on that, right? So I have discussions on that as, okay, you want 20 grand more, why? And then they say, well, I think I'm worth it versus the argument of, well, my commute is twice as long. I have wear and tear on my car, yep. right? Uh, or you're asking me to move to a higher cost of living, so I need to be able to bring that up so I at least can mm -hmm. survive, right? Or I haven't had a review in four years and it wasn't based upon performance. It was based upon my organization's health, Right. So did you view requests differently when somebody asked for 20K without providing evidence other than just more asking for it? Well, I think that's where it all comes together. Right. Is and, um, you know, I, I think that's where you have to have that understanding of what they're looking for. What you know, what what is it you're looking Where are you now? What are you looking for? And whether that's through a search firm or, or how or however it's handled, I think. 
um, that's where it gets complicated. It's not necessarily the company's fault that you didn't get a review for the last four years. That's true. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's a completely different thing. And I think, mo- you know, companies have ranges. It's the other thing. You know, companies have ranges that's based on market data. Most times that market data is old. And or, or really general. Or very, you know, very general. But, you know, big companies will base their ranges on that, that data. <clears throat> and, you know, sometimes you can, you know, again, here's the, here's the range I'm looking for. Can't go over that range. I don't, you know, and so that's where you get into this. Um, tell me why you're worth the 20, right? And that's, and that's, you know, that's, you're in a courtship, right? You're, you're in a courtship. You're trying to, to have this, this loving, wonderful, we want you here. Collaboration, really. It's a collaboration. collaboration. Too many people take it as a contest. But then you get into this ugly discussion, right, about all of a sudden you're in this turnoff mode where you're, you're, you're discussing money, right, and you're turning somebody off on that. So it's, um, it's a really, really difficult thing, and it shouldn't be. I mean, you know, it just really shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean... I have to wonder if these new provisions, these new laws are put into effect largely to protect an entire generation of people who are undervalued in the market. I do think uh, I was reading this amazing, amazing interactive article on the Huffington Post, whose title escapes me, but it's basically about, oh, yes, please read this Generation Screwed by Michael Hobbs. You should read it anyway, because it's exactly how I think media should be delivered. It's the most dynamic, interactive article I've ever seen in my entire life. It's beautifully done, and it's on Huffington Post, but it's basically about um, the plight of the millennials, and it's interweaving personal stories told by people they interview with statistical evidence, like things that are just factually based. You can't argue them. They're numbers. Um, and, And some things that really stuck out for me were you know, anyone who graduated from 2008, well, actually really 2009, the year I did, until 2013 was underemployed, if employed at all. Every year out of college that you aren't employed in your field, you lose a certain salary value. I think it's like 5000 a year is the average. Uh, and then when companies were hiring again, they didn't go back and say, hey, guys, we skipped a generation. They just started hiring from the new pool, but they knew that the new pool would be competing with this old pool so they could drive salaries down. And it was a race to the bottom. And I do wonder um, now, because our my generation is earning statistically far less than their parents, you know, adjusted to inflation, if this provision doesn't help people like us who lost years because there was no available employment, who are working very hard or who've taken jobs for things like equity instead of salary. There was a, a person, Donna Cusano, commented on your on your post, and I thought her, her comment was really interesting because it thinks a lot about yeah, uh, people who've been offset in their compensation by things that were beyond their control. And I think you're right. You know, we're in a point now where you should be able to demonstrate, you know, gone are the days where you could say, yeah, I was a waiter in Tucson. Here's my friend's phone number that's from Connecticut. And he'll prove it to you that I was, a. you know, like you can't do that anymore. You have to have evidence. Everything is verifiable. You know, if they, if they wanted to look up that restaurant in Tucson, you'd have to have a name and an address. Well, and you just nailed number. it there. There's a better way to do diligence right. now, right? So there's all kinds of data points and diligence. You go back 15, 20 years ago, technology didn't support that. Right. So now you've got the ability to backtrack. You can you can see the moronic moves on Facebook or Instagram on somebody's account, right? That right. It's pro or con towards the offer process, right? There's a lot of evidence out there you can dig up 
Or vice versa, you could have a digital portfolio that's easily accessible where you say like, okay, you know, my compensation wasn't very high, but look at what I gave the company. Look at the profits, look at the, look at the work I made, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. But that, this is where, this is my fear with this law, right? Dave will confirm that corporations and even my company, when somebody calls for a reference on a past employee, I'm not going to expose myself because of the litigious world we live in. Right. Yes, they worked here from here, from here to here. And they were a good employer or a bad uh, employee, but they were here. Right. There's no upside for me unless the person was really good. Right. And then I'll say, yeah, I would recommend based on this. And now you've taken away the ability for me to make a call on you, Christina, as a new employer and have somebody go, you know, she was really good or she was really bad. I'm good enough to say, wait a minute. Was she bad because your environment didn't fit her? Mm-hmm. Or was she bad because she just didn't want to come to work or whatever it was? The salary now is going to screw people. Here's what companies are going to do. If the if the role pays 90 to 100, really, they're going to post it from 80 to 90. Because otherwise, you're going to get the pop in the head that you discriminated against me. Because you're going to have people always trying to step up for that. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to be able to ask them what they're making legally. Then what you're going to do is you're going to have the people who are making 90 now not apply for the 90K job, the 80 to 90K. But if that job description said 90 to 100, they would have applied. The company is never going to get in trouble for offering you more money. So they're going to make their postings 80 to 90. And they're going to miss out on the players in the seam that maybe could have made a difference. If you use that salary argument of what I was paid in the past should have no impact on the job you're applying, you're, you're advertising for today. So tell me how the argument's different when you're requiring a four-year degree for that job. I think the stat is 39% of people who graduated from college are not employed in their major. You could argue and say that that four-year degree, how does that have any relevance to the job you're asking me to do? Well, It's a very similar argument. I do wonder if we're if we're entering into that age anyway. I think that that I wouldn't be surprised if that happens simply because the cost of education is prohibitive to getting an education. But that's a different no, conversation. No, sure. But what I'm saying is is we're we're going to enter into a generation of people who have def- wine, wine a lot. Yes, wine a lot. No, <laughs> right? They want to blame everybody I, else. I, but anyway, I totally disagree with, with that sentiment. Actually, I mean, there's just factual evidence that says that that we are entering into a, a particularly fiscal problem where, you know, before every huge recession in our country and globally, there's a huge economic divide and we have a big one and it's it's a generational divide mostly. So uh, we're going to have an entire generation of people paying off their own student loan debts before they can think about having a house or a family or children with student loan debt. So I do wonder if we're a few generations out from a post for your degree uh, public. You know, information is free online for now and, uh, and easily accessible. And, and really, we could be enabling the autodidact in many, many different ways. But I think the same applies for salary. You know, there are ways that you can further your career outside of your business. And maybe, just maybe you're looking for a new opportunity because you feel undervalued at your current position. Maybe they aren't paying you enough for what you know you're worth in the market. Maybe they're not giving you enough reviews or, or coaching or feedback. And maybe you're not getting that opportunity for a bonus or a raise. Well, companies don't want to overpay you. They're business. They're in business to make money. Create tremendous value in the marketplace and you are never compromised. And don't have the same skills that all your peers have. Create a skill set, a work ethic, 
and a value in the market that people are buying. I go back to my whining statement and I still stand by it. It has nothing to do with generation. I have 60-year-olds on LinkedIn who get pissed at me. Well, yeah, most of these right? comments are by right. people who are not of my generation, which is right, surprising. Right, so they get pissed at me because I'm just like, look, create value in the market and you never have to worry about being underpaid. It's really a very simple equation. Well, I, that's why I stand guard at that whining comment because actually that's one thing that our generation does very well is creating value and making it known. We're and very make excuses, public about it. And make excuses. I don't I mean, that... Again, I, I really encourage everybody to read that article on, on uh, Huffington Post because statistically that actually also is is incorrect. Um, we work longer and more hours, typically more jobs than any other generation before us. That's just being proven to be true. But Christine, I'm going to come after you on that sure. because working longer mm -hmm. may be the issue. Who's creating value in the marketplace that the market wants to buy? And so I think the disconnect in this generation is that they've not drilled down on what is the market going to buy over the next five years, seven years, 10 years. And don't tell me your four degree kept you prisoner for the next 45. Don't tell me you went to school for uh, journalism when journalism, as it's been defined in the last 20 years, has been destroyed. And then point back and say, well, my degree was too expensive or my degree cost me you know, too much time, and it's went, what I went to school for, and nobody's hiring on it right now. Why? That is a whine, and that is an excuse. Look, I went to school for engineering. I never deploy it, and I deploy it every day. But I never let it define who I was for the next 45 years. Well, that, that argument is a little flat, because as you said earlier, most people don't even engage in their degree anywhere, or at least a large percentage. No, no, create value. Nothing to do with degree. Sure, I was using no, that as a proxy for the I'm argument. what I'm saying is, uh, for an entire generation of people... Um, it's the argument isn't I wish I didn't go to college or I studied the wrong thing. The argument is really I came out at the wrong time and as a result, wages have gotten lower and lower. And I think, you know, I certainly try to create value in the market. Every person in my organization has got a fifty percent raise every year over the last five years because they're doing something the market wants, they're working their tails off mm -hmm. and they're continuing and none of them went to school for headhunting. Mm -hmm. They looked at the market, what is the market paying? And they mapped their skill set and desires to what the market was paying. But that's not true for people who do digital marketing for you. Uh, we just introduced digital marketing in the last year. Right. right. So when the digital marketing, when the digital marketing starts to provide a meaningful, and I never run year-to-year -year ROI. You guys know I'm a very long game player. When I start to say, and I actually challenge the digital team all the time. I need to do something that creates brand, but I also need to do something that has a check cash, mm -hmm. right, together. And I run those, those, those are both my North Star, right? The brand is 5, 10, 15-year strategy. The check is a quarterly strategy, mm -hmm. and I balance those. The second that I start to see that trend go that way, I will then be able to tell my vice president of creative, hey, you're getting a raise this year. Oh, and you're, and by the way, my people upstairs, the difference here, Christina, is they're all paid on commission. Right, I know. So they get to eat what they kill. Right. They're not just showing up every day, right? I'm not saying my digital does. My digital is a sales organization. And I'm going to continue to teach my digital team that you have to sell, but you're selling an emotion, a representation, all of those things. So in a year from now, we can have the same podcast 
and I'm going to make a guess, and I'm going to probably eat my words, not, you might be 2x on your salary. Or you'll be at least be paid 50% more than you are now. And time date stamp this for the Christmas party next year. (laughs) And so it's all about meritocracy and earning. My people make money based on commission, not because that's what they feel like they want to be paid. Sure. But but I'm saying there's a whole slew of careers out there where that simply isn't an option, right? It's not commissions. Name me one. Name me one. Mine. I don't make commissions. I make a salary. No, you're going to make a bonus based on the value you deliver to my organization. And we're going to map that because we just started a year ago. It's impossible for me to have any evidence. And in 12 months from now, you absolutely are going to be paid on the merit that the team brings to the table. I'm forecasting it being worth at least 50% of our gross sales of the organization. It's that simple. It really is. And when more creatives, and I've told you guys this from the very first day, when you guys start to become more capitalists, and not realize that it's a bad thing, everybody's like, oh my God, I'm a creative. I can't be a capitalist. Bullshit. The quicker the creators become capitalists, the more they get to create. Right. But I'm nine years into my career. I've you only met me last year. so I know, I know, I know. But this is, the, and I met you by pure chance, and this is only one of three jobs I currently do. That's, that's what I'm talking about right there. I do worry about it. I've got three children in their 20s, mm-hmm. right? Uh, various stages of education and, 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 you know, they're, they're going out to the workforce. And as a parent, right, I, I constantly worrying about what opportunities are out there and how can they, they make an impact. And, and again, what, which generation has had it harder? I, you know, I have this discussion with my son and it never turns out right. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it never turns out, you know, uh, in a, in a happy discussion. Can I tell a story? Sure. Please. So, you know, I had a great early career. I was vice president of human resources for U.S. Surgical at, you know, my late 30s. Went through an acquisition, stayed on uh, with Tyco at the time um, for a period of time and just felt like it was uh, not the right place for me. It moved my family up to the coast of New Hampshire and decided I just didn't want to chase the next corporate gig around, right? So, you know, I started my own little search firm. Um, did it by myself for two and a half years and, uh, you know, was successful, made enough money working over my garage. But I learned a lot about myself that I was bored stiff, not with the industry, but with working alone and that I really valued and my strength was in building teams and being part of something larger and growing something. So I made the conscious decision to get back into corporate. Right. So my huge ego is saying, well, everybody's going to want me because I was VP of HR at U.S. Surgical Corporation, and now everybody's going to want me. When I started talking to all the big headhunters, they said, well, where have you been? Right? Where, where have you been? Well, I've been consulting for two and a half years. Yeah, sure. Right? Fancy word for unemployment. Right, right. Um, I knew what I had, and I knew what I was doing. And, I, and um, so along came an opportunity at Stryker um, to join the, 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 their biotech group. And it was probably $100,000 less than what I was making working over my garage. The commute was about an hour long versus walking up the stairs to my office over the garage. But that's what I needed to do to get back into the market. And I had to do it with the confidence to say, I'm going to go in and blow them out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eight years later, for a human resource person, I got offered you know, to be the general manager. Weren't you to the COO there? And a general manager and then the COO. 
But it was, all right, I, I, I get it. My ego is bruised. I thought everybody in the world was going to want me. They don't. I've got to go reprove myself. And that's what I had to do. And it wasn't anyone else's fault except my own that I took myself out of that market for, for two and a half years. Um, and so I, I think, I, I don't know what the story is from that. Well, ex- Dave, nobody ex- owed you anything. Nobody that's what owed I me love. Anything. I that, love that. Yeah, you were insane. Hey, well, I used to, or they're paying them. Right. Or, right, you just went like, okay, let, let's, let's big boy up. Yeah. Take it, get in the game, put me in coach. Yeah. And let me let me show you what I can do. Right? Was, you didn't use the tactic. You used the strategy. You know, I, I went from, you know, you knew the U.S. surgical offices. I went from this big, beautiful office. When I to, visited Dave, he had, a, he had an office like the size of a gymnasium. When, at one time, U.S. surgical, Leon was the number one paid executive in the world in a publicly yeah. traded company. Right. right. And you were his right-hand guy. But then I entered Striker, Striker Biotech, and I, had to, I walk into my office, and it was half the sides of this with a little metal desk that was sort of the drawer hanging out. But you know what? <laughs> that's, that's what you got to do. You got, you got to take control of your career. Nobody owns your career except yourself and you got to make things happen. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and listen, every generation has its own boogeyman, every generation. And every generation currently thinks their boogeyman is worse than their parents was. And so the end of the day is putting a law in place that doesn't allow somebody to ask you what your salary is, is not going to get you a better job. What's going to get you a better job is creating a better version of yourself, taking what the market is paying, get in there, blow the doors off the game, and then be paid on merit. Because if you play the tactic thing, like I said earlier, that's a very short-lived strategy that you're going to get outed on and then you're screwed. It's just there's no perfect world out there. There's no perfect response to any of this except it's it's a conversation. It's a courtship. It may work out for you. It may not work out for you. But I, do, I, I don't feel, again, in, in my career, like, okay, we got this. We have this very critical opening. Let's go out and see who we can who we can screw here from a salary perspective, right? It's, it's let's go find the very best talent we can find. And let's pay. Because we want to be winners. Right. And, and we've got this great benefits package. We've got this great 401k. And, you know, we're going to do our best to give them as much money as we can within reason that, that makes us profitable. And Dave said something incredibly insightful. The most important part of your career is the first eight years of your career post-education. Because it's the foundation and it's the it's the endurance you're building up, it's the networking you're making, it's the exposure to things, and then that sets you up to step on the big field. That's all. Well, on the line, I'm Joe Mullings. I'm Christina Kay. And I'm Dave Ranker. Have a great day. Bye.